One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham, on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. We are, ladies and gentlemen, at an apparent crossroads in this great country of ours. Uh, Before us uh, is a decision that has to be made. There's a junction, an obvious choice of future direction. The choice, of course, for most sensible people appears to be pretty clear. Lock down the entire country again in order to safeguard the economy while at the same time destroying it. Or learn to live with a virus that isn't going anywhere anytime soon. Today, the Chief Medical Officer Chris Whitty and his Chief Scientific Advisor Patrick Vallance will address the nation to explain that the rate of COVID-19 infections is, in his words, heading in the wrong direction. Well, how about this for a thought, Professor? Maybe you're actually heading in the wrong direction, and when you should be heading for the door. There's much talk of our rates going up and more people testing positive, but there are so many holes in the data and so many holes in the science, it's like looking at a piece of Swiss cheese. We should be analysing what they have to say in the company of Maine on Sunday columnist Peter Hitchens. 0344 499 1000. Up first, though, we are joined by Brexit Party leader Nigel Farage with his take on the increasingly ridiculous rules and regulations, which we are being told could last for another six months until March 2021. That's right, March 2021, by which time we would have been under some kind of restrictions on our movement for a year. He reckons the cure is now worse than the disease and it's high time we stood up to this increasingly authoritarian government. Plus, we'll get the latest from the front line of the migrant crisis as well. 0344 499 Also coming up, we'll be hearing all about why Meghan Markle has now fired the lawyer she hired to go after the newspapers in a British court because apparently he went to work for Johnny Depp and why diesel car sales have been overtaken for the first time by sales of eco-friendly vehicles. Marvellous, isn't it? The Green Brigade have really got this country by the throat. And we'll be taking your calls, of course, as well, because we need to hear what you're hearing from your employers, from your employees, and from your schools as well. You'll listen to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Now, you will have seen loads of different headlines over the course of the weekend about how Chris Whitty thinks that the infection rate is going in the wrong direction. We are told the R rate, which I've already told you, doesn't really mean um, a fag end at the end of the day because the R rate uh, is generated by collecting loads and loads of data, including what people are actually doing. It doesn't necessarily mean that there is a massive rate of infection. But if you took it seriously, what we know from back in March and April was that the R rate was up to around about three, which means for every person that got infected with coronavirus, three other people did. They reckon now it's less than 1.5. Scared wittiness is the front page headline on the front page of The Sun. Covid curves will last for six months, number 10 warns. Let's talk to Nigel Farage, leader of the Brexit Party, uh, who put out a very, uh, what I can say is a very persuasive video yesterday about why the cure is now worse than the disease. Nigel, a very good morning to you. Good morning. Thank you very much indeed. Very worthwhile, that video, I thought, yesterday, because you kind of put your uh, cards on the table, nailed it, really, by saying um, that if they do decide that what the cure for this particular disease is to keep the economy going is to shut down the economy, it's kind of counterintuitive, isn't it? Well, it is. And I mean, look, let's talk health to begin with, shall we? Yeah. Um, You know, cancer diagnoses are down 75 percent. Treatment for chronic heart condition down nearly 70 percent. Uh, goodness knows what the mental well-being uh, of millions of people is, as they now fear 
that if we have a second lockdown, uh, their time on furlough, some of which was quite fun, really, wasn't it? Because the sun was shining and have a beer in the garden. Mm. But the reality that that's going to mean long term unemployment. Um, and you begin to realise that so many people are not getting diagnoses are not getting medical care are not getting help and treatment that, that they need. You may well find the death toll from misdiagnoses in the end is even greater than those who die from this disease. And look, I do know people myself who've been very ill with coronavirus. And I do completely understand why we should be sensible and why a degree of social distancing, hand sanitizing, I get all of that. But the truth of it is, and you can tell from what Sadiq Khan's saying, you can tell by what's been trailed ahead of this 11 o'clock press conference this morning, the Valance and Witty show. Yes. Oh, that it were a comedy, but it's not. Um, and you can tell we're going into lockdown. 13 million people in England are in lockdown already. Uh, and I genuinely think the economic harm, the health harm, is far worse than facing a reality, which is there is no miracle cure. All this rubbish we hear about vaccines being ready by Christmas, it just isn't going to happen, Mike. So the truth of it is we have got to learn to live with this and we can be encouraged by a couple of things. One, that medically... We now know much better how to deal with this. And two, look at countries where the number of diagnoses are going through the roof. And you'll see that whilst hospitalizations are up, they're not up very much. And I think I get the feeling, you know, Baroness Dido Harding said she was surprised that infection rates had gone up. Well, I'll tell you what, Baroness, it's September. The kids have gone back to school. It happens every single year. And yet they appear to be surprised. My feeling overall is that Witty, Valance, Gove, Cummings, Johnson and Hancock, their fear is that the historical legacy would be that huge numbers of people died and they stood aside and did nothing. That is what they're scared of. Uh, now look, I know they're in very high pressure situations and these are big decisions, but it's taken me months to come to this conclusion, but I genuinely this morning believe that now the potential cure of a second lockdown is genuinely worse than us learning to live with the disease. Yes, I think there's no doubt, Nigel. And a lot of people like you have come to the conclusion after months of support for this government, because we all wanted to see a Brexit supporting government doing well. We all wanted to see Brexit happening. Uh, that appears to be going OK. Um, but we also wanted to see a Tory government which was elected to be strong uh, on public order, to be strong on immigration, to be strong on leaving the European Union. And, and fr quite frankly, what it isn't at the moment is strong on anything to do with coronavirus. And also, what we also know um, is that you can't just keep locking down the economy for two weeks every month or so, because that's going to kill it off. It's not going to save it, is it? No, it doesn't work. And I mean, the other thing that was amazing was to find yesterday morning uh, that by ministerial decree, um, if you test positive... For coronavirus or if somebody who has tested positive tells the track and trace scheme that they were in you know close physical proximity to you you could be fined up to ten thousand pounds for simply leaving your house mm. i mean it's draconian it's been done without any parliamentary consultation without any public debate I and mean, we are supposed to be a democracy i mean that's what that's what brexit was about mm. So that we could make decisions um, to, so to be ruled by ministerial decree is simply wrong. And the irony that you could get fined 10 grand, even though you haven't got the virus. And yet, if you want to go, Mike, wear a paramilitary uniform, march through Brixton, vandalise Churchill's statue for the umpteenth time, desecrate the cenotaph, you can be pretty certain of one thing, nothing will happen to you. And it is this this misapplication, this double standard that we're seeing right across law and order that I think is making Middle England very angry indeed. Oh, absolutely right. And I think this whole idea of track and trace is flawed in the first place. We had somebody who works in the system call us last week uh, and he said, basically, if you call somebody and they don't answer the phone, there's nothing they can do. They call about 20 times and they give up. They can, they're not allowed to give a number for you to call them back on. Uh, equally, I said to him, what happens if somebody lives in a shared house and one person is found to have to isolate? Does that mean everybody else does? And he didn't know the answer. <laughs> No, I've, I've heard of an example of two families sharing a house where one family have been told they have to isolate 
and the other family have been told they don't have to. So, mm. yeah, look, it's all over the place. The other thing that annoys me is we've had six months of failure, six months of missed targets, six months of promises, ridiculous promises not being met. And now what Prefect Hancock does is tell us it's all your fault. Yes. It's our fault. Mm. We've not been responsible. Therefore, we must be bullied and fined if necessary. And, you know, even President Macron, who I'm not the greatest fan of, but he went on live national television in France and said, look, we underestimated this. We've made mistakes. I'm sorry. We're doing our best. A degree of honesty. Yes. At no point has that pipsqueak Hancock admitted that he's got anything wrong. Well, I mean, it'd be harder for him to admit that he got something right, wouldn't it? Because I can't think of anything in particular off the top of my head. But, I mean, this is the other problem where they keep saying to us, but we're following the science. It's very clear now, Nigel, that the science doesn't even agree with the science. There's Carl Hennigan saying one thing. There's Chris Whitty saying another. You know, now, if you're an ordinary layman or woman, who are you supposed to believe? Well, that's right. I mean, the whole idea that the science was settled uh, was what Tony Blair told us over climate change. And it was a similar line that Boris used from the start. Mm. We're following the science. Science always profoundly disagrees. And I actually think that for a national press conference to take place at 11 o'clock this morning with two government appointed officials telling us our future, telling us our fortune is outrageous. It's Margaret Thatcher that said that advisors advise and ministers decide. And it's almost as if we've got the blame being shifted from Boris Hancock Gove and the government onto these two guys. They're appointees. And of course, their advice to central government is very, very important. But it, you know, it looks this morning like rule by bureaucrats, government by ministerial degree, uh, and it's undemocratic, it's disproportionate. And I'm urging people, please contact your MP. Please say no to a second lockdown, and please insist that any big decisions that fundamentally affect the lives of tens of millions of us are debated openly in the House of Commons, through the media. Let's have a national debate, not Mr Hancock or Chris Whitty deciding our future. Yes, exactly right. We've just heard Andrew Bridgen on the news there uh, being one of those MPs who is on your side on this, who yeah. wants to have the proper debate, because the whole idea of these extra powers that were brought in was that they would be reviewed in six months' time. You can't just turn around and go, well, now we're not going to review them. We're just going to add another six months. I mean, it's ridiculous. No. Well, thank God, thank goodness that David Davis got the amendment passed, mm. which said a six-month a six review, because originally the government wanted this to be in place for two years. This is supposed to be a conservative government with a prime minister who we told is a libertarian. I mean, I, I think some days it feels like Jeremy Corbyn won the last election. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, not that one is to be uh, into conspiracy theories, but my, I was amused to read a conspiracy theory uh, the other day, which actually said that when Boris Johnson went into hospital, uh, it wasn't him that came out. It was somebody else that looked like Boris Johnson, <laughs> but in fact was not. But obviously that's not true. But I mean, the bottom line for me uh, is that the people of this country, almost to a man and woman, by far and away, do not want a second lockdown. They are fed up to the back teeth of not being able to go wherever they want to go, whenever they want to do it. You know, yes, of course, people are going to be sensible, but we don't need to tell everyone to shut the schools, to get back inside your houses, to not go anywhere, uh, to shut all the pubs down, to shut every business down and wreck the entire nation. Yeah, get onto your MPs, put the pressure on, make Boris's government understand you, you're saying no to a second lockdown, and that they may never get your vote again unless they start opening this up to a proper democratic process. And, you know, maybe that'll have an effect because this government operates more on followership than it does leadership. Yes. They've U-turned more than any government I've seen in my lifetime. They're scared of public opinion. They're scared of the polls. So make your feelings known, please. Yes, indeed. And while we're on uh, the subject of making your feelings known, I've also similarly been asking people to write to their MPs uh, to ask them about uh, whether or not any illegal migrants are being housed ah. in their constituencies. You'd made another video last week, uh, Nigel, which was very interesting, down at that camp uh, barracks, I should say, down in Folkestone, yes. next door to where the Gurkhas were. I believe today is the day uh, that that all starts kind of kicking off, isn't it? Yes, up to 400 people will be moved into the Shorncliffe barracks, barracks on the cliffs above Folkestone, uh, barracks that were originally built to stop the Napoleonic invasion, um, and barracks that now will be hosting those who are part of this year's invasion. 
Um, I spoke to local councillors, I spoke to residents. Uh, they've no idea who's going to come, but you can bet your bottom dollar it'll be 400 young men. Uh, it's an open camp. They'll be out mixing in the community. Uh, and this is not a recipe for happy relations uh, with the local community. Uh, there's also an army camp in South Wales that's going to be used. Um, lots of hotels are filled, lots of private accommodation. And I make this prediction. Tomorrow, we'll see, and I, I've got this intelligence this morning, all right? Tomorrow, we'll see an attempt by hundreds to leave the beaches of Northern France and come to the EU, and come to the UK. Now, if I know this is happening tomorrow already, I would like to think the Home Secretary, I would like to think Border Force, I would like to think the French authorities would know that too. Let's see, this time tomorrow, Mike, let's see whether my prediction's right, and let's see whether anybody has lifted a finger, otherwise we'll get another army camp full tomorrow. Interesting uh, that you say that, because we wondered on Friday whether Serco uh, had been instructed to move people from hotels, because that was seen as unpalatable now, into these barracks. We got an answer from Serco, uh, which said that they have nothing to do with the barracks whatsoever. So these are clearly new uh, migrants who are claiming asylum, <coughs> who are being put into these uh, barracks type accommodations. So it's not as if they're moving people. These are extra people. Oh, yes, absolutely. And I mean, the number now... The number of people who've come to Britain illegally that we're now housing is now over 50,000. 50,000. Uh, and I can tell you, you know, my inbox every day is from people who can't get GP appointments, uh, from people who feel that the streets of their local town are not as safe as they used to be, from people telling me, groups of migrants, forget about the rule of six. I mean, they were out on the beach at Hoylake in Liverpool the other day with a big football game. Mm. Uh, you know, this is, I, I honestly don't think that stuck in London, the government understand just how unhappy their own supporters are. A recent YouGov poll showed 97% of Conservative voters concerned or very concerned about what's going on. But looking ahead, Mike, if we may for a moment, mm. on the 1st of January, we leave the Dublin regulations. We leave that part of EU rules that makes it very difficult to send anybody back to Calais if they haven't claimed asylum in France or Europe first. It's been a problem for Priti Patel. By act of British Parliament, those rules end on the 1st of January, 2021. But, and here's the problem, we need a new agreement in place between us and the French so that we can start returning people properly from January the 1st. And from what I can see, the French are being wholly uncooperative because it's not really in their interest, is it, to do this deal? So we're facing a moment in the next few weeks when either the French do a deal with us and we recognise international law as it should be upheld or, or we'll see whether the government has the courage to act unilaterally from January the 1st. If they don't get a deal or have the courage to act unilaterally, this migrant boat crisis in the channel could go on for years. It really could. Nigel Farage, thank you very much indeed. Nigel Farage, Brexit Party leader, speaking an awful lot of sense there uh, on what you should be doing as far as this government's policies are concerned. They're thinking about a lockdown. They're threatening a lockdown. They're talking about a lockdown. They haven't yet ordered a lockdown. What Nigel Farage wants you to do uh, is to write to your MP, tell your MP that you're not happy about the possibility of a new lockdown and that therefore uh, you would not be supportive of any MP that voted for it. And you also want to make sure that whatever new laws and whatever new provisions are put into place over the next six months, that they are debated properly in the Houses of Parliament. This is a democracy. It is not an autocracy. It is not a dictatorship. We do not wish to live under that. And if we did, we wouldn't have voted in an election in December. It's as simple as that, isn't it? The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Just to ensure uh, that we cover everything here, though, uh, and we don't just make you stare into the abyss 
wondering where it's all going to end, we also bring you a little levity. And this morning's lev- levity comes to you courtesy of Angela Levin, royal biographer, of course, um, writer at the Daily Mail as well. And she uh, will be telling us why Meghan Markle has decided to fire her own barrister uh, in the case against Associated Newspapers and News UK uh, because he represented Johnny Depp and presumably took his eye off the ball. Angela, very good morning to you. Welcome. Morning. Just when you thought it couldn't get any more ridiculous. Well, actually, I disagree. You know, I'm not a fan of Meghan Markle, but here I think that she's perfectly justified um, in um, dropping the the lawyer she had and and taking in someone else. She obviously realises that the tactic didn't work. Um, I mean, David Sherborne is um, very, very aggressive. Um, He's flamboyant. Uh, He likes to mix with the celebrities he's supporting. But curiously, he's not a QC. Now, lots of uh, lawyers worry, wonder why that is. He's been around for a very long time. But this, this now she's decided to go for someone who's, um, well, chalk and cheese, they say, about them, and, and gone to Justin Rushbrook, who is a QC, and will probably fight it in a slightly different way. I mean, they did lose the first beginning of the trial, mm. um, and Meghan has to pay out nearly uh, £68,000, which wouldn't please her. It also very interesting that she's referred to as the former TV actress. She's obviously no longer using her title or as if she's got anything to do with the royal family. I think that's quite significant. Oh, good. Well, when will we see the phrase the former Duchess of Sussex uh, being uh, being put Yeah, I'm put waiting for that one. Yeah, we might be waiting for quite a long time. I take your point about the lawyers. However, she does have a bit of a track record of not hanging on to people for very long, including an awful lot yeah. of her friends. Yeah, this is absolutely true. Um, I mean, it's a bit like um, Alice in Wonderland when the the Queen says, you know, off with their head. Yes. If you don't do and um, actually produce the goods, you're you're ousted totally, hugely, forever. I um, mean, she's done that with her father. She's done that with lots of friends. She did that with her first husband. And so um, the the other side of this is that if you know, Harry said before they got married that what Meghan wants, Meghan gets. And she didn't get this. She didn't win. She didn't succeed in that. So, wow, um, try somebody else. The interesting thing, too, is that they both belong to the same um, legal team. So they are very competitive mm. and they're not, I believe, not don't like each other terribly much, but um, the same chambers. Um, so... I think this is a, a calculated uh, decision that um, works out legally, is understandable legally, but also is symptomatic of Meghan's temperament. Yes. I've always been quite surprised that having made the threat to Sue, that they actually went ahead with it, because it can only lead to uh, at least embarrassment uh, at, at, at the very smallest sort of end of, of the scale for, for the royal couple, such yeah. as they are, uh, or possibly complete and utter ridicule the longer it goes on. Yes. I mean, Justin Warby, who who was uh, leading or judging the, the first attempt, um, said that they had to chuck out quite a lot yeah. of what they were accusing the associated newspapers of doing um, because it was much too complicated. They said, for example, she said that, uh, or the lawyer said, that um, they had an agenda to beat her down. Mm. And that wasn't what, this is a privacy issue. You have to concentrate on the specific issue. You can't accuse people of doing all sorts of horrible things to you, which which she did. Mm. And that's why she lost um, that case. But also the thing is, invasion of privacy is the key um, subject that she's after. Well, it's astonishing because um, we hear about them every single day. Their PR company produced something or nothing. Um, I mean, nothing in terms of they may be doing this and they may be doing this. But they keep them in the public eye absolutely nonstop. Mm. So I don't understand the privacy. Also about the friends. Um, there's supposed to be five of them. And the judge, uh, uh, Justice, will be only allowed them not to mention the name at that moment, when it actually comes to deciding 
what what uh, you know the, the actual details of the case they very well might have to give their names um because if they had megan's permission for doing that then she she will be a laughing stock well exactly right and also i think most people have already seen that uh, that any attempt to sue newspapers is is never a great idea in the first place and also um it's very expensive very pricey and it will also of course involve inevitably either one or both of them having to actually appear on the stand yes well that's a possibility that she might have to stand up i mean she can't do she's an actress she was a uh, she played a lawyer in suits, but I think real life is very different. Um, but also her father is very keen to come to mm. give his side of the story. Yeah, right. She hasn't wanted him to give his side of the story, but he's perfectly entitled to do that. And um, he, he's claiming that what her friends said about the letters wasn't true um, and that it was much more complicated than that and she was very unkind in it. So he's got a right to have a have a say, even though in the past he hasn't been ideally um, placed to to talk sensibly about no, it. No, of course. So what happens today? The case resumes today. Uh, what, what what would you expect to be uh, the sort of the order well, of events? Well, because it's not uh, Justin Warby, is a, a more junior master, Francesca Kay. I imagine it's small details about the case. It hasn't actually got going yet. Mm. It's lots of little things which they complain about and they decide on. So I think that, you know, we're jumping on it because it's exciting that she's, you know, yet Megan... Well, it's just something else to talk about other than COVID-19, to be honest, Angela. (laughs) Well, yes. Um, (laughs) But it's... it's, um, I expect it's just a few small things, legal issues that need to be covered. We won't get a result today by any means. No. The case hasn't been even planned. They think sometime next year. Mm. But it seems silly to go on and on and on about it you know suing so many different people and different organizations you know um i find that very strange they want to do it they're supposed to be happier than they've ever been yeah i just leave it it was very well exactly but that's the whole point you know if it was so awful why would you want to rake over the coals for the rest of the year and possibly the rest of next year and go on and on and on about something that apparently was so upsetting that you had to leave the country Yes, exactly. Quite. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, she should just uh, seek my advice, and I'd happily give it to her for quite a reduced <laughs> or fee. Or mine. Or indeed yours, Angela. Thank yes. you very much indeed, Angela Levin, a royal biographer. There, giving us uh, some common sense uh, where it's very, very much needed uh, in the house of the Duke and Duchess of Netflix, as we now call them. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. I'm, I'm sorry, uh, Chris Whitty. I'm going to. I'm, I'm, I just can't listen to much more of this. I'm going to have to interrupt it. Peter Hitchens is here with me. Peter, um, I can barely believe my ears uh, with this stuff. Um, we've already had an NHS which doesn't treat anything else because of the COVID scare, which never happened. Now they're telling us we're going to have another one. Well, let's not say it never happened. It was obviously something that goes seriously wrong, and a lot of it went wrong, as we now know, in the care homes. Uh, which is something which we could uh, quite possibly do something quite uh, quite useful about preventing again. Mm. Uh, what is startling about this is the presentation of figures entirely without scepticism or rational analysis. Uh, you talk of, of, of uh, for instance, the figures for cases. It is not made clear that most of these cases are asymptomatic and most of the people who are supposedly protected having had COVID are perfectly well. Uh, an absurd assertion is made that the number of cases has not risen because the, the amount of testing has risen, uh, which is, is quite obvious to anyone. The simplest intelligence cannot be true. If you test uh, hundreds of thousands of people, we, you will find more cases. Mm. Uh, also, it doesn't seem to dwell at all upon the major problem, which everybody involved in this is well aware of, the false positives showing people who are positive who, who actually are. Uh, 
Uh, and then the other thing which nobody is mentioning is that on September the 30th, a mere nine days away, Parliament has to vote on the renewal of the extremely uh, potent me measures of the coronavirus bill. Uh, and it seems to me that this whole ramping up of figures into the appearance of a huge second wave when nothing of the kind has taken place has much more to do with the political needs of the government and its desire to, to scare members of Parliament into accepting yet again uh, legislation they ought never to have allowed to go through is really what's going on. There are so many things one could say about these figures. I wrote it on Sunday about this sort of the, the number of... The uh, seven of days thing, right? Doubling every, every seven to yeah. eight days. It, it's, it's technically true, uh, but in a way which, if once examined, it clearly does not mean what it appears to mean. No, indeed. And quite frankly, the most brazen statement, I think, that came out of Chris Whitty's mouth was that uh, he said, if UK cases double every seven days, there would be 49,000 cases on October the 13th. He then talked about 200 deaths per day uh, in, in November. And then he said, this is not a prediction, when it clearly is a prediction. Well, they're, 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 they all remember what happened, of course, to Professor Neil Ferguson's extraordinary modelling, as it was called. Mm. Uh, which a lot of people took seriously back in March, suggesting that huge numbers of people would die if we didn't take uh, extraordinarily rigorous precautions. This has been, I think, pretty certainly proven to be false uh, by the example of Sweden, where similar projections were made, and Sweden did not do the things which uh, the Imperial College would have wished it to do, and the numbers of deaths didn't follow. And I think any serious analysis of what happened has to say over and over and over again the real tragedy was in the care homes. Uh, this was not caused uh, by a failure of people to avoid each other's company or, or stay at home or do anything like that. It was caused uh, by a mistaken uh, moving of people from hospitals into care homes uh, without testing and proper precautions. And this will doubtless be the subject of an inquiry. What it was not, and what the, the incidence of the disease was not and, and never really has been, is particularly connected with the measures which the government is taking. No one has ever been able to establish any connection between these frantic measures and any result. And also we have to remember again and again this simple point. All these things can do is delay the spread of the virus. Now, no human ingenuity has ever developed a way of stopping a virus from spreading. Uh, and there is a, a very strong, the, the, the point was made um, by, by one expert this morning, that the, the phrase herd immunity sounds callous, but it is in fact not callous at all. What it means is that if we can get enough people uh, to be naturally immune to this disease, then its spread is halted. It's not an ignoble, brutal way of treating the population, saying, all right, we'll let you sink or swim. It is actually an effective, scientifically backed way of, of preventing the spread of disease. And in fact, it's the principle behind which vaccination works, the achievement of herd immunity. Right. Uh, everybody's in favour of. And I, I've been astonished over the past few months, and it's the first time I've said this because it, it seems to me the moment has now come. I've been astonished at the way in which people who would have cheerfully uh, argued for herd immunity and vaccination now argue against it in this matter. And again and again, we have to say, are these people who are recorded as cases or infections actually suffering? For the most part, no. No, the disease is not weakened. But what has happened is that it has, it has begun to spread among people who are far less at risk from it. Yeah. And I don't know whether you could understand. Yeah, I don't know whether you could understand the graphs that were put up at the beginning of the uh, of this session, in which it looked like uh, per one hundred thousand uh, people, zero point two deaths was now the figure. If that is the figure, I, that's incredibly low, isn't it? It's extraordinary how I, again, I, in my own city here in Oxford, we were told a few weeks ago that if we pass the number of forty people per one hundred thousand infected so-called uh, with coronavirus then measures would have to be taken basically to punish us for misbehaving mm. going out seeing people and all the stuff like that which was allegedly causing the spread but try as they might uh, by setting up an extra testing center which of course was never going to produce any more results was it uh try as they might they couldn't get it up up above that figure of 40 per 100,000 40 per 100,000 doesn't indeed seem to me to be particularly big it, it's four per ten thousand yeah it's hardly it's anything. One per thousand. And you think, what? who is drawing these lines and saying this is what matters? But it, I do advise people to look at my Mail on Sunday column now on my blog for an analysis of, of what the Secretary of State, uh, Matt Hancock, 
has been going around saying about the numbers, uh, the numbers of hospitalizations doubling every seven to eight days. It, it's it, it's a very interesting use of the word every uh, to refer to two periods of seven to eight days in the in the whole thirty odd week period of the statistics being studied. But there you are. And then there's a the question: Is it doubling, or has this has this number simply increased to that extent? Doubling is a different thing. I, if you say something is doubling every week, yes, you're you're you're, you're claiming uh, that, that something huge is happening. Events are not driven by mathematics. Mathematics are driven by events. Maybe uh, the numbers of hospital hospital admissions will rise hugely next week, and they, they will be twice as many as they were last week. But there's no magic which says that they must be because they because that happened last week. Right. It could be that they'll go up by the same number as they did the week before, in which case they won't double. Well, exactly. And amongst many of the pieces I read over the weekends, including yours, which I thought was great, uh, Matthew Syed's piece was very interesting as well, where he talked slightly more generally about this obsession that the scientists seem to have uh, with dealing with what they call certainties, when in fact what they should be dealing with is the uncertainty. Because he says it appears as though the data is now being dragged towards where they want to go rather than leading people uh, to where they should be going. Well, I think that's definitely the case. In this, 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 you could see for weeks and weeks and weeks the constant repetition. There is a second wave coming. There is a second wave coming. You say it often now. Right, and here it is. <laughs> well, the principles of advertising. That's how people were persuaded to eat it mashed potato. Right. Uh, you'll do all kinds of things if you repeat things often enough. Uh, but it, it doesn't necessarily make it true. The second wave is, is there's no evidence in the second wave of the, of the coronavirus. The second wave happened in influenza. And I keep saying, Professor Pennington uh, will repeatedly tell you that there is no reason to believe there is such a thing. But once you've decided that it's going to happen, then you cram all the figures into shape to make it look as if it's yeah. happening. So even if it's a molehill, you will go around believing it's a mountain. And the, the government is currently turning a molehill into a mountain uh, for, in, in my view, strongly political reasons, as very major developments are taking place. And Sir Graham Brady... Uh, the, the chair of the 1922 committee and uh, an intelligent representative of Tory backbench opinion went on the radio this morning, and despite the vigorous attempts of Mark Carney on the, on the radio for today program uh, to stop him from saying what he was doing by interrupting him every every time he took a breath and sometimes otherwise, he actually managed to get out the fact that he believed the government was ruling by decree. Yeah, uh, had no need to be rushing this legislation through. And to express a discontent, which I think is spreading. And then you have another amazing development, where Baroness Hale, the former, the, the former president of the Supreme Court, much revered by all liberals, as Lord Sumption was until he got involved in this, coming out and saying, Parliament has pretty much abdicated its responsibilities. Yeah. Amazingly, I think the mood is changing. If you look at the, the, the leader columns, the editorial columns of some of the major conservative newspapers this morning, you'll also find strong hints of exasperation, not just with the performance of the government and its policy, but with the policy itself. Yes, I think that's absolutely right. I think it's very hard to find. Uh, I think you have to look in the very staunchest of staunch Tory heartlands to find a couple of voters who are still supportive of this government, because apart from them, everybody else has deserted them. You know, I didn't start off uh, by being you know, dismissive of Boris Johnson and the government. I thought in March, as you know, uh, that they did the right thing. You, it's about the only thing now that you and I still disagree about. You well, know. I want to disagree with you about something else, Mike, because it's important. You've been very dismissive of Simon Dolan's uh, court case. I have. I think, I think you should not uh, carry on with that. Whatever you may think of Simon Dolan, I don't know him, I have no connection with him, but... He is actually doing something which badly needs to be done. Well, let me no. tell you why I disagree with what he's doing. Well, let me tell you why I disagree with what he's doing, Peter, and then you can tell me why you think I'm wrong. Sure. I disagree with him because I believe that suing governments is the business of people like Jolie and Maugham, um, and those kind of idiots who wish to kind of uh, change political decision making by virtue of the law uh, because they they can hire very expensive barristers. And I don't think it's the way to go. I would rather put my trust in somebody like Graham Brady, who will hold the government to account since the Labour Party is incapable of doing so. And I don't wish to have taxpayers' money wasted by the government on defending what I regard as frivolous court actions. Well, I wish it was so that, uh, that it, was, it was nothing but frivolous court action. But the fact is that the introduction of judicial review in this country has meant that a significant way of getting governments to review their policies when they otherwise would not do has come through the courts. You can't pretend that it hasn't happened or that it's not available. And if other people are going to make them, are going 
to take advantage of it, as they most certainly have, uh, then it, it seems to me that the right side should also take advantage of this weapon created largely by, it seems to me, the judicial liberal elite. They should take advantage of this weapon to point out that the government is not doing what it should be doing, is, is acting beyond its powers, which it is. You might say rely on, on Sir Graham Brady. I would tell you that if Simon Dolan were not doing what he was doing, and if I wasn't doing what I was doing and you weren't doing what you were doing and Lord Sumption wasn't doing what he was doing and a lot of other people like Toby Young weren't doing what they were doing, then Graham Brady would have no standing. The reason why Graham Brady is increasingly being listened to in Downing Street, and I think he probably is, uh, especially by those ministers scared of economic collapse, is that people outside Parliament have taken legitimate lawful action, which we're able to do, I mean, none of us is in favour of breaking the law, to try and make the case. And actually, judicial review is a weapon available to us. It would be very, very silly not to use it if we have it. Well, I, 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 I still disagree with the way that he is doing it, and I'm not particularly against him. The only reason it came up recently was because he tweeted me rather pompously that uh, was I, whether I was asking me whether I was ready to apologise to him yet. And I think well, I'm, I'm afraid... not trying to get you guys to like each other. It's, that's not no. my business. No, but I think that it, 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 in, a, in a matter like this, where the future of the country is involved, allies, even if they don't particularly get on with each other, I mean, Toby Young is not my cup of tea in many, many ways, uh, and I've told him so, but. On the other hand, he's tremendous. You're not the first person to have told him that. I'm not down skeptics, and I am full of admiration for what he's done, despite the fact that on so many matters I disagree with him. So, and and, and he is, as they say, extremely hard to like. So that's not the point, and that's why I think that 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 if you've got um, if you've got bile to spare. And send it to a different direction. Yes. No, listen, there's no bile involved. I don't particularly dislike him. I, I think he appears to be a little bit pompous, and that doesn't bother me whatsoever. But he does live abroad. Uh, he does make use of his money uh, to sue the government, which so far has been entirely unsuccessful uh, and looks as though it's not going anywhere anyway. And I just think we have better fish to fry uh, and we have better ways of doing it. That's all. Well, I, I'm in I'm in no position to, to, to attack anybody for pomposity, and on, on top of that, uh, I, I think that the the success or otherwise of Simon Dolan's case uh, is it, it would be a bad thing if it, if it failed. I think myself, the courts have treated it with with uh, with far too little respect, though it has. If it, it, the, the last stage it, reached, it did reach a judge who appeared to see that it was an important matter. Uh, yes. I just think it really, it really is something where we all we all need to put our shoulders to the wheel. All of us, not not the lunatics, not not the Bill Gates maniacs and the David yes. Ives and all. No, listen, I take, Peter, I take I take your point. I take your point absolutely. But what I don't respond very well to uh, is people asking me to apologise to them for something which I don't think I've actually done. So uh, listen, stay with us though, because we're going to take some news here. Uh, we're going to find out precisely what else we've got to do uh, to try and halt this ridiculous lockdown. There was one brief appearance of sense from uh, Chris Whitty right near the end where he said that if they don't go far enough there will be a problem with new cases and new deaths but if they go too far it will be damaging to the economy so at least he's recognising that he might be damaging the economy. We were talking to Peter Hitchens, man on Sunday, columnist about a great many things, not least the reaction to uh, a press conference which has just been held uh, by the leaders of the scientific community advising the government about COVID-19. Uh, Chris Whitty, of course, the chief medical officer, chief scientific advisor, Sir Patrick Valance. Peter, um, let's go back to some of the things they said. They said they've turned a corner, but not in a good way. Uh, they've said that basically, uh, despite the fact that they're predicting 49,000 cases on October the 13th. It's actually not a prediction. Um, They have made one at least small accommodation to saying that if they go too far, it might be bad for the economy. So maybe there's a chink of light there somewhere. Well, maybe there is. But I think what what, anybody looking at this uh, and fearing, as we all do, a repeat of the dreary events of March, has to say, isn't it time the government searched a slightly wider pool of experts and advisors? Uh, isn't it time, for instance, that Professor Carl Hennigan, the Centre for Evidence Based Medicine, was brought in to take part in these press conferences, to take part in the advice? Uh, and also, the, the whole SAGE committee uh, was looked at again and, and given a, 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 at least a reasonable representation of people who are skeptical about the government's position. Well, uh, governments, I... governments take advice, uh, alas, uh, they take the advice they want to take. Uh, the, the, the most cr- crucial. Example of this was the Iraq War, when they took the advice 
only of people they wanted to hear and those who really knew about Iraq were excluded. It really is time we had some more people in, in, involved who, who were able to give, particularly as Professor Hennigan can give, uh, or indeed as Professor Sinetra Gupta, the, 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 um, the expert on, on, on the spread of disease at Oxford, the, uh, in fact, a very similar standing to Professor Ferguson, but having very different views. These people should be called in, listened to, and allowed to take part in these events. We shouldn't just have one view, which we have at the moment. Uh, and that that would seem to me, I, I'm tired of being told, oh, you're not an expert. Why, sh why should we listen to you? There's there's Chris Whitty, there's Patrick Balance, yeah. they're experts. And there are you, just some journalist saying, well, this, that, and the other. Well, I, I, of course, I'm, I'm not an expert, but the point that I make is that the, the advice which these experts give uh, is taken by people who are even less qualified than I am. Uh, yes, yeah. but also patient. the thing that you and I, but the thing that you and I are expert in, Peter, is looking at expert behaviour and expert prediction and expert rules and regulations yeah. and working out how successful they've been. And up to now, they've been pretty unsuccessful with their predictions and with their instructions. Well, it, it, it's I would say extremely unsuccessful, and the because as, as I say we don't in this country have had have a particularly good record, even on the terms which the government has set of controlling the disease, which spread rapidly into, into care homes and, and, uh, and ended up killing a tragically large number of old people. Um, nor is there any evidence, it seems to me, that the measures that have been taken are working. We're constantly pointed to graphs of produced for Spain and hospital admissions in Spain and deaths in Spain, which are indeed going up. Actually, of course, at this time of year, deaths of this kind do go up. It's not uh, unusual. Uh, and it wouldn't be particularly surprising if they did. But the truth is that Spain has been applying measures of astringency, uh, which make ours look quite mild. So if these measures, the mask wearing, the social distancing, the one and a half meter rule or whatever it is now, uh, the rule of six, if these measures work, uh, then why is it that the countries such as Spain, which apply them so severely, uh, aren't now free of the disease? The reason is simple, because they don't work, and they were never going to work, and they, they, are, uh, they are, frankly, a, a fantasy of government, a Canute-like belief that mm. government can control things it can't control. And, and here we are. Yes. We are, well, I mean, I mean, I'm slightly encouraged by at least the fact that they've used the words in this briefing today. Uh, we are going to live. We're going to have to live with this virus for a long time. So that means they're going to have to adapt uh, and and live with it rather than trying to fight it. But I don't know whether you've seen this morning that Professor Carol Sakura has put out um, a, a tweet today in which he includes a letter which has been sent to the government, including to Boris Johnson, Rishi Sunak, Chris Whitty, uh, and Sir Patrick Balance as well. And its authors are Professor Sunetra. Gupta, Professor Carl Hennigan and Professor Carol Sakura. Uh, and included in that are a whole load of other signatories, including Sir Hugh Pennington, former chief medical officer, are urging the government to change course, to change tack. And so this, I think, is going to be a significant letter, which the government surely will have to pay some attention to. Well, that is fantastic news because it gets rid of this nonsense that, that all the experts are on one side and that nobody who knows anything about it takes one view. And I think, I think, Several of those those names have been extremely courageous in the mm. past uh, in the past few months, standing up against a, a, a howling wind of almost imposed consensus, which is even in the scientific community, which is supposed to accept and encourage reason, has been very worrying. I think quite a lot of scientists have felt some something approaching fear, and you will have noticed that, that Sinetra Gupta a couple of weeks ago. Uh, confessed in the evening stand that she was having trouble. She, a very distinguished scientist, uh, uh, an Oxford professor, having trouble getting her work published in scientific publications. This gives you an idea of the intolerance mm. uh, in the scientific community once an idea takes hold. So this is encouraging. There are many, many uh, encouraging signs in politics, in journalism, uh, among actual scientists, and in, I, I very much hope now in the law courts as well, after after what Baroness Hale has said, people are beginning, I think, to come to their senses and realizing we can't go through another six months. Later. No, it's not rational. It's uh, and also uh, the bills are just going to have to be paid. I, I, every time any of this is discussed, I have to say again and again: remember, remember the thirtieth of September. That's the day the government needs another compliant dead parrot parliament uh, meeting 
uh, to allow it to maintain its coronavirus active being, which should never have been passed in the first place. And I remind people, was passed without a vote. Right. On its first appearance before Parliament. One of the most severe restrictions on liberty ever passed by the, by, by the Parliament of this country without a vote. Or frankly, a serious debate, mm. and and which has and which has now resulted, and which has now resulted in the rather no. ludicrous episode uh, of the possibility of being fined ten thousand um, pounds if you are uh, out of your house when you're not supposed to be, even though there might be nothing wrong with you. Well, this is when we're reaching a wholly arbitrary, um, arbitrary situation where law is no longer law; it's just the, the will of the government imposed by the police on more or less randomly selected individuals. This is lawlessness. Mm. And when I say, when people say, well, would you break the law? And I say, no, absolutely not. Nor will I encourage breaking the law. And the, the, the real threat to the rule of law and to, and to actually social peace in this country is when the government abandons the rule of law and, and, and rules by decree and turns the police from a, a body of men enforcing the law with public consent into a state militia. When these things happen, the undermining of law, which depends so much on everybody believing in it, is, is terrifying. And I, I, I am absolutely not the person undermining the law. But these government actions, they do that. A strong state of the kind that's being hammered together here by these people is very dangerous mm. to the rule of law, social peace. They should think very carefully what yes. they're doing and look now at the horrors of what's going on in, in Victoria in Australia, where the... the the, the state government has, has taken on powers unprecedented uh, in any in, in any free policy that I know of, and it, it's really very shocking indeed that, that, that these things are even contemplated. Yes, quite, and I find it quite That's ironic because I've just had a tweet from somebody reminding me of this that the Labour Party, currently led by a former human rights lawyer, doesn't seem to care much about the human rights of British people. Yeah, well, he's, he's, he's also a former Trotskyist, of course, which. <laughs> I wonder which of the two struggles in his mind more um, more vigorously. People don't realise this about Keir Starmer. He, he was actually he, he was in a, a sex serve skewer. Uh, they have a special name, the Pabloite. Uh, but it's the the, the the problem is apart from anything else that every member of Parliament, from Keir Starmer and Alexander Pfeffel, Boris Johnson down, they they don't realise or they seem to have forgotten who they work for. And I am urging everybody to write briefly, politely, but acidly to mm. their members of Parliament. Don't try to change their minds. Most of them can't reason. Just make it plain to them that they're, they're, their seats are at risk if they carry on like this. Say to them, I have observed over the past six months, you have not been doing the job right. for which you are lavishly paid. You have not been legislating. You have not been holding the government to account. You have been doing nothing. What is it that you do? Mm. Yes. You can't explain this to me, then, 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 then please understand that when the next election comes around, I may be seeking somebody else to do the job, yeah. which you have been paid for without doing. People should write in large numbers to their MPs making this point. The one thing that gets an MP's attention is fear of losing his or her seat, and, and we should make them do that. Yes, absolutely right. And I mean, I mean, a lot of people also making the, the noise now about maybe trying to find a third voice. And I know that's difficult in a two-party system. Uh -huh. But the Social Democratic Party, William Clouston, the leader of which I have on my show on a fairly regular basis, they seem to talk a lot of sense. They're the first political party that has actually come out against these lockdown measures. I mean, if only you could turn that into some form of, yeah. of sort of people's well, movement. Here's the problem, Mike. It's it's 17 years now since I, I began my project of destroying the Conservative Party to, <laughs> to make way for, for, for some new party of this yeah. kind. Do you know what? Nobody wants to do it. Mm. It's been a thankless, lonely task, partly because so many people who regard themselves as Conservative patriots uh, will cling to the Conservative Party, even as it becomes a sort of Euro-Communist uh, mad party, because uh, they will say to you, but we can't let Labour in. Uh, so they won't they won't give it the final fatal mm. kicking. Uh, so it survives. So there's no room. Uh, William Clouston, no doubt, an intelligent fellow. There's no room for intelligent thought in politics as long as these corpse parties survive on the basis of state aid and dodgy billionaires, mm. as they do. Yeah. And uh, there we are. And it, it, it's it's nice to think of it, but in, in, until this lot, until people really do turn against this lot. In, big way then we're stuck well i mean we, we're certainly going down that road i don't know how I, I don't know of a time when people were more angry with the party that they elected because it's the people that elected them that seem the most angry with them right now but well, let's well, 
So why did they do it? Yeah, I know. I know it's maddening. But let's end, end with one final question. This is a good one um, from a, from a, a tweeter who sent this, this. Hi, Peter. He says, why did all of Witty and Valance's charts and graphs begin in the middle of summer and not at the beginning of the pandemic in March? Interesting question. Well, this is the trick of all graphs and charts, isn't it? They can be drawn to suggest anything. And if you leave out the fact that deaths have hugely declined and have been have declined almost continuously since mm. April the 8th, uh, and that the, the the nature of the infections being being listed now is wholly different from those in April. And then you get a totally different picture, just as if, as I say, you read my read my column on, in, in Sunday's Mail on Sunday and see what a doubling every seven to eight days actually means. I had a shouting match, I have to tell you, with, with, a, with an official at, at the DHSC over those figures because I was so furious mm. at what I regard as their unscrupulousness. Yes, it really is quite an extraordinary time to be alive. Peter, thank you very much, as ever, uh, for helping to analyse that rather ridiculous joint statement that we just witnessed coming out of the uh, Downing Street Scientific Advisors. Peter Hitchens will talk to you again uh, next Monday. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Now, we said this would happen because as soon as you start hearing noises coming out of people like Michael Gove, who say things like, we need to do away with wood-burning fireplaces, we need to do away with diesel cars by 2030, you're not going to buy one, are you? Because it's only 10 years away. Now, some people, believe it or not, don't renew their car every two or three years. Most MPs have no clue about this because they get a free car if they're in the cabinet. They get a free car uh, if they're senior party members uh, and they get paid to travel wherever they want to go. Uh, They get their travelling expenses paid as well. So they don't worry about the fact that they might buy a family car, which happens to be diesel uh, because it happens to be better uh, long running and a bit more reliable. uh, And they don't change it for maybe 10 years. Let's talk to Howard Cox, uh, who is, of course, the co-founder of the Fair Fuel UK campaign. Well, they finally did it, Howard. I suppose we should have expected it. I'm afraid so. Uh, but um, the drivers uh, that are writing to me in our campaign, we got 1.7 million supporters. The anger is palpable. They just do not understand it. And the, the annoying thing about this, Mike, is it's been done without consultation of the people that it hits. Right. Oh, it's the only people that are advising these, uh, uh, making these decisions seem to be the environmentalists, very well-financed environmentalists, and the cycling cycling groups. And the anger, I'm not joking, is uh, palpable. And that's why tomorrow we're launching, uh, asking our supporters to contact their MP uh, and say to them, please stop this anti-driver or uh, anti-diesel petrol campaigning against the people who need their cars to go to work, need to go to hospital, need to do all the things they need to do. Uh, because electric vehicles are not ready. Uh, and we hear at the weekend on, I think it was Friday, in fact, the Daily Mail came out with the fact that uh, there are 100 Tory MPs actually pushing to bring the 2035 ban on diesel petrol sales down to 2030. Mm. Well, well, I spoke to 16 MPs over the weekend, uh, and all of them said that, that is a load of BS. Mm. And that it has not happened at all where that rumour is coming but it's all being orchestrated by these well-financed environmentalists. Yes. Well, I know that one person that would like to ban diesel cars and vehicles from uh, the centre of the city uh, is the mayor of Bristol, because he's actually come out and said it. He even said it as Bristol, as the city uh, 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 sort of local council was concerned, was actually buying a load of diesel fuelled vans that would drive around on behalf of the city council. So, I mean, there's a sort of disconnect going on between these uh, sort of lefty, green people who want to do one thing um, and common sense which would suggest you do something else yeah that's right i mean i've actually crossed swords with the bristol uh council group uh, over there because what they've actually it's almost impossible to drive into the center of bristol yeah um, and, and from from our point of view uh you know again i'm going to repeat again there's been no consultation and the the, the, the one of the worst things is we're not seeing the true science i mean for example uh, in a lifetime of a Tesla, we're looking at 100 grams per ki- kilometre uh, driven of CO2 emitted. Yeah. Whereas in the lifetime of a diesel for the same mileage, it's 40 grams less of CO2 per kilometre. Right. So- that sort of information isn't coming out. And all we're doing is we're being forced. We're almost sleepwalking into this situation 
from gullible, clueless uh, politicos in Westminster in our local authorities ganging up on 37 million UK motorists. Yeah, and also the people I speak to, and I'm sure who you speak to as well, Howard, the ordinary people of this country, many of whom drive vans for a living because that's how they make their money. You know, I'm sorry, I don't believe there is a decent electric van that you can buy which is in any way affordable for your ordinary working bloke, is it? Absolutely not. And the important thing here, Mike, you've hit the nail on the head. We should be looking at alternative solutions. There's no doubt about in 30, 40 years' time, hydrogen cells or even the electric battery might be more efficient and we'd all be loving it. But we shouldn't be forced into these cliff-edge targets. We could now, and I've spoken to you about this before, there are solutions where if the government, like that's happening in Texas, for example, every single bulk delivery of fuel uh, to a garage contains this catalyst which reduces emissions by 50% and reduces fuel com- consumption by 10%. I mean, Rishi Sunak should be biting my hand off to tell me how we do this because that would save 10% of all the fleet. Everything from a, a, a battleship to his company car right. would save 10% on fuel. Why are we not doing this? Yes, well, it's a very good question. And also look at the cars that are the most popular green models being sold, right? Tesla Model 3, BMW 3 Series, plug-in hybrid, Nissan Leaf and Mitsubishi Outlander. Now, the Nissan Leaf's a smaller car, so maybe a little bit cheaper. But most of these cars are over the price of, say, thirty-five to 40,000 quid. That's not your average family car, is it? It's impossible. Most people, especially as usual, just like fuel duty, this particular set of policies hit the low income families the most and small business the most. And most of them are driving around in two, three, four, five thousand pound value cars. They can't afford to put another 10, 15 thousand pounds. It's impossible. And the government uh, should honestly should be taken to task over this. And that's what we're trying to do. Yeah, it's really quite extraordinary what the government is allowing the green lobby to get away with. I mean, we saw, I think, at the weekend, did we not, Howard, another one of these demonstrations by the people of Islington who are up in arms about these road closures that are going on uh, all yep. over London and all over other parts of the country as well, by the way. And yet nobody seems to be listening. I mean, Sadiq Khan uh, actually had the temerity to put out a, a, a tweet yesterday in which he called Labour the party of competence. I mean, everybody fell about laughing. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, I'm doing that now. <laughs> yeah, well, well, as you know, I'm actually still in, in a bit of a contention with the Mayor of London and a few other mayors as well. That, that I understand with these people actually putting up uh, petitions, etc. there's even a talk of a political party being formed, mm. which, uh, and I'm, I've been asked actually to uh, get involved with this. Uh, a, because there's 37 million UK drivers, even if we took half of that lot, that's enough to actually get a party pol- uh, political uh, force in, in Westminster to mm. get some common sense. What is important, Mike? I mean, uh, I, I'm sometimes accused of being a gas guzzler. I don't care. I care about the planet. I care about clean air, breathing, all those sorts of things. But this is not the way to do it. We do not to be, need to be forced into draconian approaches, high taxation, and all of these sorts of things, congestion charges, ultra-low emission zones. What we should be doing is working to their consulting mm. and taking our time to make the right decisions. Yeah, well, in case anybody hasn't noticed, we're in the midst of a pandemic, which is pretty much destroying the economy. You think you'd be helping people to do business rather than hindering them. Well, I notice again, I think it was a Daily Mail today about the number of people dying of cancer today is at the top. And in the middle is COVID just below flu. Right at the bottom was road accidents. Yeah. Uh, So the safest place to be in terms of PPE is inside a car. Yeah, right. Exactly. And also lots and lots of people are finding it incredibly difficult to do their business because of the congestion, because uh, of, you know, Sadiq Khan, particularly in London, Sadiq Khan's ludicrous sort of flip-flopping around, where one day he's saying, oh, it's all right, you can use the tube, no chance of you catching coronavirus on the tube. Next minute, don't use public transport, drive your cars on the roads. Next thing, oh, we're going to put the congestion charge up, we're going to extend it to 10 o'clock at night, we're going to make it 15 quid every single day, you're going to have to spend even more money uh, if if you've got an old car. I mean, it's it's actually scandalous. If you park anywhere, you're going to get a parking ticket, I mean, how about they suspend all of this while the economy recovers? Well, there's a little matter of the fact is being forced into electric cars. They don't pay any tax, and yet they're on the road. They're not. They're, they're actually, you know, they're heavy vehicles. Most uh, uh, battery-driven uh, vehicles are actually heavier than uh, internal combustion engine vehicles, mm. and so they're causing more damage. They still got brake dust, which is particulates, etc. The, the thing is, it's not fair. We could solve this and work together. Instead, all they're doing is listening to the people dressed in Lycra and the envi- well-financed, celebrity-driven uh, environmentalists. Yes. Right? Yeah, Extinction Rebellion seems to have come and gone again. I presume they had something else to do in uh, this, this, this week of September. But, you know, once again, you'd have to say um, they did absolutely nothing but bring yes. London to an even bigger standstill than it's at 
uh, at the moment. Well, they created a great load of congestion and, and pollution. They did, they did wonders. They really are clever people, aren't they? The important thing, this is a serious issue. We're, we're not seeing anything. The BBC, for example, our, our, our public broadcaster mm. doesn't have a programme to say what car should we be buying that's the cleanest car. Mm. We don't. Instead, we have top gear with people driving over cliff edges and things like that. Right. There is not, they're a consumer protection uh, or uh, representation of the consumers, the licence fee payer, but there isn't one consumer programme talking about what car we should be buying, etc. All we're being told is diesel is bad, petrol is bad, and electricity is, you know, is like being uh, being an angel driving yeah. that car. And meanwhile, I mean, as I often say, whenever I, I mean, I haven't been there now for a while because of the, uh, the lockdown, but um, in America, you go to California, right? The idea that you can somehow introduce anti-car legislation and even in california where it's quite green you know the number of cars polluting the atmosphere and driving around on the highways of, of california are quite incredible i mean millions and millions and millions and millions of cars you know there's a road called the 405 which goes from san yeah. diego uh, up to los angeles and a bit further north it is is eight lanes on both sides constantly yes. full of cars you know literally traffic jam in both directions pretty much all day and we worry about a few diesel uh, range rovers driving around well, that's absolutely right. And I repeat again, there is a better solution. Those eight lane motorways, I bet you the fuel they're putting in is quite clean. What we should be looking at, there's 100 years of oil left in the, in the ground. We should be looking, getting that out and cleaning it and making it as best as possible. The modern diesels, the Euro 6 diesels are clean, yeah. very clean indeed. And there's a Euro 7. And what's really bad is there's no incentive for manufacturers to make cleaner, uh, uh, you know, carbon based fuel uh, uh, engines. Right. And they're being forced. They are being forced into producing electric vehicles and the hybrids will soon disappear. I mean, I drive a hybrid. I've just got one about three months ago and, you know, the second one I've had. I love it. It's a great car. It's not that great in fuel consumption, mm. but it, I can feel good what's coming out of the exhaust. No. But fundament, fundamentally, most people drive diesel in this country and they haven't got a clue what they're going to do next. No, exactly right. Because also the thing about hybrids is that apparently in the new regime, when they start to say that, well, uh, you'll get sort of breaks on your road tax and all of that, hybrids are not included, are they? So a hybrid is treated the same as a diesel. So what was well, the my, point? Well, I'm hearing, I mean, I pay over £400 VED for my hybrid, Yeah. Uh, you know, simply because it's over £50,000. I mean, I lease it. Etc. So I'm not rolling in fifty thousand. Just throw fifty thousand right. at this, uh, and 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 what we're seeing at the moment in time is completely stupidity. But uh, from the treasury, I hear that they'll, they'll be looking at VED again in the budget coming up in November. And don't be surprised if the the dirtier cars will be paying incredibly more, much more, including yeah. high. I know. Absolutely scandalous. Ridiculous. Howard, thanks very much indeed. Howard Cox, co-founder of the Fair Fuel UK campaign. You know, this government has got to learn. You can't just go around bashing the hell out of everybody all the time, constantly. You know, people are walking around punch drunk because every time they get up again, you know, the government gives them another slam. You know, it's not good enough. It really isn't. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.